Father, we pray that over each one of our lives. Father, we can look at our own lives and often see uh, the damage and the ruin and the, and the mess of our own lives. And yet, Father, you've promised that as we seek you, and we're not only just forgiven, but we're renewed into your own image, that you're taking the, the broken down wreckage of our lives and you're renewing and restoring it into something bigger and better than we've ever imagined. You're, you're shaping us to become Jesus. So, Father, we're thankful for that, and, and that is why we come now to your word, because we know we, we can't do that on our own. We can't shape ourselves into the image of Jesus. We can't work hard enough to get there. Uh, we need you, and we need the work of your Holy Spirit, and we need your Spirit working in us through your word. And so, Father, we pray that you would do that now as we come to your word, that your Spirit would speak clearly and powerfully through your word and it would cut us to the heart and it would shape and mold us so that we would become uh, the people you've created us to be, that we'd become more like Jesus. So, so meet us here this morning and remove any distractions that would possibly hinder us from hearing you speak and then speak in a way that transforms us. Father, we pray that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, in our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. All God's people said, Amen. Well, we're still in the Lord's Prayer, so if you have your Bibles with, you can open up to Matthew 6. Uh, We're looking at verses 9 through 13, but really we're looking at verse 12 this morning. But we're going to read the entire passage, the entire Lord's Prayer. Jesus told his disciples, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Well, I'm not going to get into all of this because that's not my time or place. But there's a lot of talk about debt these days, isn't there? And, uh, you know, I even remember being like a middle schooler. I don't know, I'm going to try to figure out. That was a while ago. And, And I remember people talking about, like, our national debt. I remember as a middle schooler thinking, wow, that's a lot of money. How are we ever going to do that, right? And that's kind of gotten bigger. I think we're at... 24 trillion right now of debt, and we're trying to figure out how in the world can we as a country kind of come out from under that. But, but we're not talking about that as much. We're, we're ta- there's a lot of talk about just how debt is affecting kind of the everyday American, right? Uh, we, as a country, just individuals and families have been kind of racking up debt slowly over a long period of time. It kind of hangs over us a little bit, and, and some people kind of feel like They've got just enough room to kind of make their payments on their debt, but then what happens is inflation comes, and food costs more, and gas costs more, and now um, they're trying to figure out, why I can't even make the payments on my debt, but this debt has to be paid. How do I do it, right? People are starting to feel crushed, trying to figure out. They're hopeless, kind of trapped. They don't know what to do. And uh, Jesus kind of tells us this parable of, of a similar situation. 
Um, he says this, uh, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. I can about imagine <laughs> that that man felt trapped, hopeless, and kind of crushed, right? He had accumulated all of this debt with the king, and it was an unpayable debt. And the king called him to account, and he said, I, I can't pay it. And he was going to lose everything. Um, but to even, I think it, what increases the weight of this parable is to, to recognize the number that we're talking about. Uh, because I assume for most of us, I had to look it up this week, a talent means nothing. Like what, how much money is that? Um, so if you, even if you look in your Bibles, I, almost every Bible has a little footnote, and it's going to say it at the bottom, and it'll say a talent is about 20 years' wages of a laborer. One talent is 20 years' wages. And this man owed 10,000 talents. 200,000 years worth of wages he owed. He had really gotten himself in a pickle. <laughs> it's an unpayable debt, right? 200,000 years worth of salary. Even if you live for 100 years, that's 2,000 lifetimes. And that's if you can work from ages 1 to 20. <laughs> so we're talking 3,000 lifetimes of debt. And the king called him and said, it's time to pay. What do you do? And he's about to lose everything. And what we, what we miss in this parable is that that parable is us. Um, we're, when we read this parable, we're supposed to see ourselves as that servant who's in that kind of debt. Um, not financial debt, and I think financial, the Bible has a lot to say about financial debt as well, but, but this morning we're talking about we're supposed to see that we're that servant in that much debt spiritually and morally, that we have this kind of debt kind of being racked up in our lives to the point where it's a completely unpayable, uh, crushing uh, debt in our lives. And even the psalm that we read, Psalm 51, David said, I was actually born in this debt. I was conceived in this debt. This debt's been kind of passed down <laughs> since Adam and Eve. And then so you're born with that level of debt, and then you continue to rack up debt day after day after day after day. Um, this is why the Apostle Paul uses this. I use this verse a lot because I just think it helps us understand the, the weight of the situation because we typically don't. He says, the wages of sin is death. And that teaches us, right, when you sin, what do you earn? Death. Um, it, it helps us recognize that, like, when we sin, 
we often think, well, I did something kind of naughty. <laughs> or, well, it's not that bad. And, and it says, no, actually, when you sin, you just earned death. Every time you sin, you earn death. And yet, we're still here, right? We're not dead. Um, and so why not? Why haven't we gotten what, what we deserve? And the answer is purely because of God's grace. Purely because of God's mercy. Even for those who are outside of Jesus Christ, they're still alive because God has shown them grace and, and mercy, and they have not gotten what they've deserved, which is what mercy is. And so when you sin, you earn death, and if you don't die, God's saying, I'm going to show you mercy on there, but what's happening is that death then is credited to your account. And every time you sin, it's like swiping another credit card, piling up death upon death upon death upon death until you have two, three thousand lifetimes worth of debt that you can't pay. And you feel trapped. You feel hopeless in that and crushed. And, and it's important for us, like this isn't me exaggerating, <laughs> For, you know, preachers like to exaggerate, to try to... This isn't even me. This is just saying exactly what Scripture says, that that's what's going on as we live our lives. That each sin is earning another swipe of death that's being credited to our account and putting us further and further and further into debt. And yet, we, we can't really function when we realize that. <laughs> The, how crushing of a debt's hanging over us because of our sin. Um, we can't really live hopelessly. And so we, most people kind of respond in one of two ways to this kind of crushing weight of debt over us. One, uh, most people either just try to ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist. Um, kind of like those who really get themselves into debt and the debt collectors keep calling. They just like, if I just ignore it, it maybe it'll go away. Or people just try to pay off the debt themselves. They think, well, I, I can do something, right? But the, one of the most common ways, I, I see both pretty often, right? But, but I see a lot of people try to just pretend like that debt's not there. Like, well, I'm not that bad of a person, really. I, I'm pretty good. I, I'm actually, most of us probably, if we're honest with ourselves, think I'm probably better than most. <laughs> and so I'm not that bad. And, like, I mess up every once in a while, but it's not that big of a deal. It's not like I've murdered anybody. And so we just try to pretend like none of this is a big deal. This debt's hanging over, but it's, but it's not really there. It's not really that bad. I don't have to worry about it. I can just live life and, and ignore it. And yet, you can never ignore something forever. It, it will come. You'll have to acknowledge it. It, you will find yourself in a moment that you can no longer ignore that debt hanging over you, and you'll have to acknowledge it. You can't ignore it. The other problem with just pretending like, like that debt's not there, uh, Scripture says this, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. Um, God has told you you're a sinner, <laughs> He's told you you sin regularly, and he's told you that the wages of sin is 
death. And that that's piling up each day. And so if you go through life thinking, I'm actually pretty good, I don't really need to be forgiven, you're, you're not just ignoring reality, you're also calling God a liar. That's not good. But the other response isn't any better. I see a lot of people who say, okay, fine, I recognize I, I, I'm a sinner, I have this kind of debt over me, but um, I, some people even say, I even recognize it's like an unpayable debt, but I at least have to do something. I just, just got to do something to pay, this, pay some of the debt off, and so then they just work and work and work, and they say, well, if I can at least figure out how to make my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, then maybe I'll pay this thing off. Not recognizing that you were already born in debt and continue to bring yourself into debt. But they think, maybe I can pay some of it off. So they just work, 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 trying to make themselves at least feel good like they're doing something to try to pay the debt off, even though they never can. There's another way I think we try to pay off this debt that I don't think we talk about very often, but I think we need to, is uh, it's people try to beat themselves up when they mess up, thinking that that's going to atone for their sin. Right? Why else do we do that? You make a mistake, so you sin against someone else, and then you go home and for the next week, I'm such an idiot. What is that doing? Is it making it right? Is it do- No. But I think if we're honest, what you're trying to do is just beat yourself up and atone for the sin. If I just make myself feel so bad, maybe I'll pay for the sin that I just committed. And you can't. And, and the reality is that I'm going to get to the, eventually share this, but one of the realities is, is that even if, even if beating yourself up could help pay, pay for a sin, uh, and even if you could do a whole bunch of good works over your life, how much of that debt do you think you could pay off? You know, a hundred years out of a 2,000 year, a 2,000 lifetime, one lifetime out of 2,000 is a half a percent. So maybe, let's say you lived perfectly your whole life, never sinned, never went into debt more, and just kept building up things, you would maybe pay off half a percent of your debt, and probably less. It would be less, as I'll tell you eventually. So, so all of that doesn't do anything to help actually to, to pay the debt, and what's even crazier is, is what ends up happening is um, neither method does anything to, to pay off the debt of sin. Um, And what scripture actually tells you is trying to earn your salvation apart from faith is actually a sin. And so trying to earn your salvation apart from faith, you're actually just putting yourself further and further and further in debt. It's almost like you're borrowing from like a 30% interest rate credit card to try to pay off a 6% loan, thinking, I'm, I'm getting myself out of debt, and you're actually just putting yourself further and further and further. Trying to, trying to atone for your own sins by just beating yourself up and trying to make yourself feel super guilty about it is the opposite of faith and trust, which means it's a sin. 
which means you're just putting yourself further into debt. And it's just this reminder, there's nothing you can do to get out of the mess, except pray that. Because it's your only option. You, You can't pay it off. You can't beat yourself up enough. The only thing you can do is drop on your face in front of the Savior and say, forgive me because I've got nothing. And, and you don't drop on your face in front of the Savior and say, I'm a pretty good person. I think I deserve that my sins be forgiven. Because <laughs> Jesus isn't going to have anything to do with that. Because that's not true faith. What you do is you drop on your face and you say, I have messed up big time. And I've messed up from day one, and I've messed up every day since then, and I've got so much debt hanging over me, I'm feeling crushed, I can't do anything about it, I, I, everything I do makes it worse, and so I need you to just forgive me, I need you to cancel the debt and set me free, please. And then we read passages that remind us this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you do that, if you come before him and say, I've got nothing, I need you to forgive me. I don't even deserve it, but but I'm coming to you because I want your forgiveness. says, he'll do it. He'll do it. You don't have to wonder about it. He will do it. And part of that confession and and seeking forgiveness, there's another part of that that's really deeply connected in Scripture, and that's repentance, right? What was the first word out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospels? Repent. And uh, there's a lot of different verses that say this is one I hear mentioned quite a bit. It's from Second Chronicles. He says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, which is just another way of saying and repent, then I'll hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's important because that's what true faith is. It includes confession and repentance and seeking forgiveness, and it's all, it's all wrapped into one. And if we lose the repentance part, we lose... If repentance isn't there, you're coming to Jesus saying, Jesus, I've racked up a ton of debt, I want you to forgive that debt so I can go out and rack up a whole bunch more debt. And he's going to go, no! You're going to get yourself in a bunch more problems, right? It, it's, that's not what true faith is. True faith is going, I have gotten myself in so much trouble. I've racked up so much debt. I want to be free from this. I want to turn from that. I need to be forgiven so that I can be set free. And so I can turn from it. It's not coming to Jesus saying, please forgive me so I can keep on doing things that will need to be forgiven. Of course we're going to mess up. That's not what I'm saying. None of us will ever be perfect. You're going to continue to mess up from day one on the rest of your life. But, but the desire, the desire has to be, I don't want to do that anymore. So please forgive me so I don't do that anymore. And then you keep coming to him over and over again, every time you do mess up, saying, heal me, right? That's why, that's why we're told to pray, forgive us our debts daily. 
part of our daily prayer. You come to him and you say, forgive me. And there's a lot of misunderstanding around that. I, I, had, a, I had someone come up to me once and say that, well, we're, we're supposed to come to Jesus and ask for forgiveness all the time because we, if we don't ask for forgiveness for a particular sin, it's not forgiven and then we're not saved. That's wrong, right? If I, if I accidentally trip coming off of the stairs and say a, a curse word, blaspheme God, and crack my head open and die, and I didn't get to ask forgiveness for that sin, it was paid for by Jesus. When you come to Jesus and you say, forgive us our debts, he forgives them. Past, present, future. You don't have to do every one. So then people say, well, then why is Jesus telling us to pray this every day? Shouldn't it be like, when I was seven, I asked Jesus to forgive me my debts? Now I'm good, right? I shouldn't have to ask for it ever again because it was done once and for all. And uh, there's the simple answer to that question is, well, you should pray it every day because Jesus told you to. (laughs) Um, But it's helpful for us to know some of the reasons why he tells us to pray it every day. And I thought about different, there's a lot of ways you could answer that question. One, I could answer it how I answered it and my last sermon about praying for our daily bread, it puts us in relationship with God, coming to him regularly, confessing our sins, repenting it. That's part of it, but, but really, I'm, I'm just convinced that seeking forgiveness for our sins is just a natural overflow of what a true faith is. I mean, what's, your, what's your, going to be your natural response if, if when you turn to Jesus and you said, please forgive me, I don't want to do that anymore. And then a week later, you do that again. Is your response, oh, well, I'm forgiven. Or is it, sorry, I did it again. Didn't want to do it. Sorry. Forgive me. Now, you're not doing that because if you don't, that sin's not forgiven. You're doing that to restore relationship, to be in the presence of your Savior and just saying, I did it again. I'm so thankful I've got you here to forgive me, to pick me up, to set me on my feet, to send me back on the path again. And, and so it's part of just the natural overflow of our faith, but it, it also like shapes who we are as people. Uh, to be just continually confessing and, and repenting of your sin. Every day, and I would say probably more than just once a day. Um, because what it does is, wh- when you take a moment every day to stop and say, you know what, I'm a sinner, and I'm such a sinner that I need a Savior to forgive me, what that does is, it should kill any idea in your mind that you're kind of better than most people. And it should kill any self-righteousness, any self-deception, any pride, because you're repeatedly having to come and say, I'm pretty messed up, and I need you to forgive me. And it just shapes us. And, and you know, there's been a lot of conversation over the years of, like, self-righteousness in the church, right? And all these people in church think they're better than everybody, and, and they're condemning everybody, and, and that's what's hurting the witness of the church, and... And that happens in churches, and I think it happens in churches because we're not confessing our sin. 
We're not admitting the weight of the sin that's hanging over us, and, and, and we're not realizing how massive of a load of debt has been hanging over us and that the Savior forgave. And having to do that every single day. You can't confess your sins daily and still think you're pretty self-righteous. Um, but there's another benefit that comes from confessing our sins every day. Um, and, and being really honest with ourselves about our sinful nature. And it's, this, is, this is completely countercultural to everything you're going to hear. Um, but it's biblical, so that's better. Um, one of the things that, that people worry about, especially when I preach a message and I'm kind of like pressing how hard sin is, people are like, we can't help have people feel really bad about themselves. We can't feel like we're sinners. We have to help them feel good. And kind of, I'm not mocking all Christian radio, but uplifting and encouraging. That's what we have to do in the church. And yet, here's what Jesus says. Remember, remember when a woman came in and she's washing his feet and all the Pharisees are like, how dare you let this woman touch your feet? At the end of that, he, says, he tells a parable and then he says, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. She loved much. But he who's forgiven little, loves little. And what Jesus is teaching us is, if we try to pretend like we're pretty good people, who don't really need to be forgiven very much, says, you'll probably only love me just a little bit. And so, actually not taking our sins seriously actually kills our love for God. But, but coming in and just being honest and recognizing that we have this massive load of debt weighing down on us of sin and death. But we have a Savior who forgave that massive load of debt? Lifetime upon lifetime upon lifetime of debt, and he forgave that just when you dropped on your knees and said, please forgive me? He said, then he who's forgiven much will love much. You'd be like, I don't deserve this. I, I want to follow him, right? You, it's not that you want to follow him and serve him because you want to pay off your debt because you realize there's no way that's going to happen. You just want to follow and serve the person who just paid off your debt because you love him. You want to give your life to him. And it just changes everything. And it's one of the reasons why I think like, Christians really need to stop trying to pretend like we're perfect. Um, and, and there's been this false idea that's been in the church for a really long time that like, if you mess up in public, you're hurting your witness. And I say, no, if you mess up in public without repenting and confessing, you're hurting your witness. But if you mess up in public and people see you mess up and you say, man, I really messed up. I'm sorry. I confess. I've, I repent of that. And, and I go to my Savior and he's going to forgive me for that. That's your witness. And, and, and the more we try to pretend like we're perfect people in the world, we actually hurt our witness. And we hurt our own love for God because we begin to convince ourselves that we are pretty good people and we don't really need to be forgiven very much. And 
I actually think probably one of the biggest dangers, you know, there's, there's been a lot of people worried about self-righteousness in the church, and I actually I don't think that's our biggest danger in the church. Um, I think the biggest danger in the church kind of, that's kind of swept across the church, especially in the United States for the last 20, 30 years, is just kind of a lukewarmness and kind of an apathy and kind of like, well, I kind of need to be here because this is what we kind of do and... And I think that lukewarmness has come because we've stopped talking about sin and stopped recognizing how sinful we really are. And that when Paul says, I'm the worst of all sinners, we don't look at him and go, you are pretty bad. We go, no, I'm the worst of all sinners. And I have a Savior that forgave me even that. And so I follow him, I love him, I serve him. Which brings to the next part of the, the prayer, because Jesus didn't just tell us to pray, forgive us our debts. He actually said, uh, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And that one, I, every time I pray it, <laughs> makes me stop in my tracks a little bit. And, and there's confusion over this. Some people, I've heard pastors kind of preach this and say, well... You're asking him to forgive you in the same way that you're forgiving other people. So if you're not forgiving other people, you're not going to be forgiven. And if you're forgiving people poorly, you're going to be forgiven poorly. It's not what it's talking about. It's talking about those who are seeking forgiveness with a true faith will naturally be people that are forgiving people. And uh, that's what John Stott says. It's saying God forgives only the penitent, right? Only those with the true faith. And that one of the chief evidences of true penitence is a forgiving spirit. If, if you're truly someone who's seeking to be forgiven and freed from that debt, you will also then be someone who's seeking to forgive and free others um, from any debt that's been against you. And that's, that's really the rest of that parable, right? The... This person comes to the king with a 200,000-year debt, and he says, I can't do anything. Please forgive me. And the king says, gone, in a word, cancels the debt. And then what happens? The same servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. A denarii is one day's wage. So we're talking a third of a year rather than 200,000 years. And he seized him and began to choke him which didn't even happen to him from the king. Pay what you owe. This fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I'll pay you. But the man refused, went out, put him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went, reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. And so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's a hard line. And you start to wonder, I mean, we, we, we hear the story, right? The beauty of a parable is we hear that story and we say, 
That's ridiculous. How could this man who had so much forgiven, 200,000 years worth of debt, how could he not forgive such a piddly debt, like a third of a year's wage? That's crazy. And yet, we do it all the time, don't we? Someone gives us a sneer. And we hold that over their head for how long? Someone says something in passing. Maybe nasty. And we're like, I'm not going to forgive them. They don't deserve to be forgiven. Now, most of us good Christian people know we should never say that. They don't deserve to be forgiven. But that's what you're thinking. If you refuse to forgive someone, you're looking at them saying, you don't deserve to be forgiven. I kind of do, but you don't. And it's just that crazy. And, and the only way that that happens in our life is when we think, either one, we deserve to be forgiven, or we think, well, we don't sin that much, we didn't need to be forgiven that much, but you, oh, you need to be forgiven way more than me, so I'm not going to forgive you. And that only happens when we don't take our own sin seriously enough. Because when we realize the massive debt that we owed and the way our Savior forgave it for us when we just dropped on our knees and said, please forgive me. How can we not? How can we not forgive someone else for all of the, the little things? And, and one of the really hard parts of this passage and that last line is... You know, if you actually go through life thinking you deserved, whether you realize it or not, thinking you deserved to be forgiven and then refuse to forgive other people, this is saying it probably wasn't a true faith. Um, and it probably wasn't true forgiveness. And you're probably still in debt. Because a true faith is one that says, I've been forgiven so much. How can I not? forgive someone and their piddly little stuff against me? How can I not? And, you know, they're hard words, but they're hard words from Scripture as well. Um, but I also want to remind, like, if, if you're here this morning and, and these hard words have kind of laid, landed on you and you're feeling guilty, I would say there's a couple ways you might respond to that that we talked about. You might just try to walk away and be like, I'm just going to ignore that because I don't want to feel that. That won't that won't help. Or you might go home and sit at home and just beat yourself up. Like, oh, I'm not a true Christian. I'm not a... Guess what? That's not going to help either. You might walk away and say, I'm just going to try better. I'm just going to try better to forgive people. That's not going to help unless you first come to Jesus and say, forgive me. I messed up again. I maybe haven't forgiven people the way I should have forgiven people. I maybe haven't had a true faith. I haven't really looked to you for forgiveness. So I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm not going to try to earn it back. I'm just going to drop on my face in front of you and say, forgive me. And when you do that, he does. And then he gives you the Holy Spirit to begin to now walk and live, live the life that he's called you to live so that we can actually begin to forgive others as we've been forgiven. Let's come to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence 
Just thankful for your patience with us. We all have lived out this parable in our own ways, day after day after day, those who've been forgiven much, refusing to forgive others for very little. And yet you haven't cast us off. You haven't cut us out of your presence. You just patiently continue to call us back. Um, And we're thankful for your steadfast love and faithfulness. Father, we confess that, that we do this all the time. We either try to downplay our own sin, think we're better than we are. We try to make other people's sin seem like it's way bigger than it is. And we don't seek your forgiveness and we don't forgive others. Father, we're a mess. And so we come to you now and we ask that you would forgive us and that you'd cleanse us and that you'd restore us, that you'd renew us, that you'd equip us to live in the world the way you've called us to live. Help us to be people who live in the world as forgiven sinners, as those whose debt's been paid. And help us to live, in particular, this morning, as those who forgive others as you've forgiven us. Father, we know we can't do this in our own strength, in our own ability. We need you. So please, Father, do that work in us through your spirit. And may you receive all the glory and the praise and the honor. And what God's people said, amen.